This is Iron Sports. This is 95.9, 106.9, The True Oldies. And we have honored to have Larry Olmstead, author of the book called The Fans, How Watching Sports uh, Makes Us Happier, Healthier, and More Understanding. And Larry, my friends saw you on a show one time and they called me and said, there's this guy who says that you must be the happiest person in the world because I watch sports 24-7, 365. So I, I'm extremely happy. So now this, you know, understands now, you'll tell me why I am so happy from liking sports. So thank you so much for coming on our show today. Uh, it's a pleasure. It's great to be with you. So what, <laughs> what motive, in terms of, I guess we'll just get to the point. Are sports fans happier? Uh, as a whole, yes. Um, you know, the like any other large group, there are exceptions or extremes, but on uh, on the whole, sports fans are happier and enjoy better mental health and better physical health than non-fans. So that's the good news. You have a chapter in your book. You talked about uh, participation by watching. And I, I guess a lot of fans say, you know, I have a lot of friends when they watch these games, I think they lose maybe like a couple hundred calories, even if they're eating at the same time because they're so into the game. But you actually say that it, it, it is because of participating and watching that actually is, it, it, it's, it's, it's such good because you actually are part of the game rather than as you're watching it. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of two, two different elements to that. Uh, one is that a lot of the mental benefits come from this sense of community, uh, belonging to something. And when you watch a, a sporting event, even at home, you feel like you're part of the crowd. You see the audience, especially when there's not a pandemic, um, in a way that you don't with other forms of entertainment, like watching a movie. And then there have also been a lot of studies done, surprisingly, on what you just said, how many calories you burn just like rooting even in a sports bar. But what was interesting to me about it is is when there are people who are just sedentary, you know, the sort of uh, stereotypical couch potato sports fan who are led to become active in their lives through watching sports, because that's really where society benefits. And, and that happens in a surprisingly broad number of ways, get people out there exercising because they were first sports fans. And I liked, we once had Brett Michaels on our show, uh, the lead singer of Poison, and, and he talked about uh, uh, being in terms of a concert, and he was a huge sports fan, and he says it's similar, because you're out there, and you feel like in the community with the fans, and, and it was one thing. And I guess that's the, that's the point, is that when you're going, when you're when watching on TV, it's one thing, but when you're actually at a sporting event, it is that sense of community with the other fans, just like you said, the only comparison is almost like a rock concert, because if you go to a movie, you're not talking to everybody at the movie theater, like, this is the greatest movie, but you're, you're quiet. If you start talking, they'll throw you out. Yeah, exactly. I said if we watched movies the way we watch sports, everyone would get kicked out of the theater. But, um, but you know, and I've seen Brett Michaels live, so I know what you're talking about. <laughs> but, uh, um, you know, it, it is interesting because I say, you know, a rock concert is the closest thing I could find to a sporting event. But the difference is people don't watch rock concerts on TV, and most sports fans watch sports on TV. <laughs> That's correct. And I guess that gets to the point of, What's the difference? You, you talked about in the book. If I wanted to sit and binge watch Game of Thrones, The Crown, Succession, those things, what's the difference between sitting there and watching uh, those and then watching sports? I mean, one thing you did mention was that sports is, uh, you don't know what the ending is. Like you, you, It's something that no one knows. No one sits there and watches, oh, the season's over. I'm going to watch the 2020 NFL season of every Steeler game. No one does that. I've never met a person who does that. But, but talk about the differences between, I guess, watching sports and watching like just normal entertainment. Yeah, because, I mean, being a fan of any kind of entertainment brings you happiness, but the two big differences with sports are, like you said, the unpredictability of it. And actually, that's why Game of Thrones was so unusually popular, because it was a particularly unpredictable show. 
But for the most part, you know, I like Star Wars, but, you know, back in 1977, I knew the good guys were going to win. I didn't have to wait 40 years. Um, you know, you don't know that with sports. You, you know, that's why we watch it. If we really thought that the US, Team USA had absolutely no chance against the Russians in Lake Placid, nobody would have watched. You know, we love the Cinderella stories, and you have to watch it in real time. But also that, that, that fact that... Um, there are other people watching it. So when sports fans are home alone on the couch watching, they see, they think they're watching a football game or a baseball game, but what they're really watching is an arena event, and that includes the crowd. And they feel like they're part of the crowd because they see 30 or 40 or 50,000 people dressed in their team colors, logos, cheering, and they're transported in a way that just doesn't happen with any other kind of entertainment you can watch on TV because you watch Game of Thrones, you don't see an audience, you don't feel part of something. And then that extends even outside of the stadium because with sports, you have all this logo where you might go you know, to your local supermarket and see somebody in like a Marlins hat and you're walking and you've got a Marlins t-shirt on and you make an eye contact and you have a connection and you're part of a community. You'll see you know, a Marlins or a Bucks, uh, a Buccaneers bumper sticker on a car, but you're never going to see a Game of Thrones bumper sticker on a car. <laughs> so the sports community constantly reminds you that you're part of a group and people like to belong. Yeah, I mean, I, I go to travel around the country for sports and for work and everything, and many times I'm in L.A. and I'm running on the beach at 6 in the morning and I'm wearing a Steeler hat. And I can't... I, I met some of my closest friends by just wearing my Steeler hats. And people like, you know, just a little wave, you know, the Steeler fan, like, you know, here we go, those type of things. If I see a Penn State hat, they go, we are. I mean, I don't have to be near Penn State. It's like, you don't almost want to wear the Penn State hat at Penn State. I want to wear my Penn State hat when I'm, you know, away from Penn State. And then you just meet so many people and start talking about those things. I guess that's where the community comes from yeah and there's probably you know people ask me all the time oh which city what place has the most you know passionate fans and there's no answer to that but i do think that probably college football as a sport maybe has the most passionate fans they're certainly the ones who buy logo coffins they want to be buried <laughs> in um but it, it, like with what you said i've talked to alabama fans you wear an alabama hat anywhere in the world someone is going to say roll tie to you on the street even if it's tokyo <laughs> And then it was interesting. I mean, I thought so much about your book. I mean, this book, it's called Fans, How Watching Sports Makes Us Happier by Larry Olmsted. It just came out. So it's a great book. It's easy read. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's 200 pages, but you can read it fast and enjoy it. So it, it's a must read. I, I, I would suggest anyone get this book. But you, you talk about in terms of stimulating brain function. And I'm like, well, and, and you made the point that like watching. Now, I like to watch when I go to the sports store because I'm so many fantasy leagues. I'm literally watching eight NFL games at the same time. So I'm focusing on the Steelers, but then I'm watching all my other games so it is i'm like exhausted by the end of a sunday because i'm trying to keep up with all these games but you talk about how it does stimulate function because you're actually thinking more watching sports than if you did, were watching game of thrones yeah and sports in general have gotten a lot more complex in our lifetime so i kind of equate watching sports to doing sudoku or a word uh, a crossword puzzle every day you know which is proven that any kind of uh, intellectual exercise like that is good for your brain especially as you get older but you know when i grew up i, I grew up in queens in new york watching Mets games, going in with my dad, and all of the statistics you needed to know fit on one line on the back of a top space ball card. You know, but now you get Moneyball and Sabermetrics and wins beyond replacement and plate discipline. And when you look at the uh, you know, NFL and the NBA, how complex these diagrammed offenses and defenses and formations have gotten, to be the kind of sports fan who's going to call into talk radio and second-guess <laughs> the, the coach the next day, which there's a lot of, you have to really be informed these days. And it has become, I think, more of a strategic or intellectual pursuit. 
And then one of the things you really, you touched on everything in your book, but I like the one thing when I was thinking about this book is, well, when you play sports, there's a winner and there's a loser. There's very few ties. I mean, there's no ties in football anymore, but the point is, so you expect that some people will be happy and some people will be sad 50%. But the way you made the whole, what you talked about in the book is that in generally when you're happy, you're really, really, really happy. And when you lose, you sort of said, it's like we won, they lost. <laughs> if we, you know, it's like if we win a game or they lose a game, but if you lose, you're just like, oh, there's still hope. And I liked how you approach that in the book. Yeah, I mean, sports psychologists told me that we basically have a fan circuit breaker in our head, prevents us from getting too upset when things go, go wrong, but you have unlimited upside uh, enjoyment when things go well. And if you think about, you know, the Super Bowl that was just played, if, it, if, if your potential, you know, thrill is a scale of 100, well, you're a Buccaneers fan, you probably got 100, you won at home, big game, upset. If you're a Chiefs fan, though, you didn't get a zero, you know, you had a great season, you got to go to the Super Bowl, you watched it, you've got a great team, so maybe it's a 20, uh, you know, and then the big wins last longer, you know, uh, Again, I'm a Mets fan. I remember the 1986 season last time they won pretty clearly, but I don't remember 1983 or 1989 or 1993, and that's very typical. You're a Cubs fan. You know, if you don't win another World Series, sure, you want to, but you have one, and you'll remember that for the rest of your life. Yeah, that's that's tremendous. And I almost I was crying in your chapter about powers to heal a community when you talked about and all you brought back these memories about after nine eleven. And I was reading the chapter. I'm like, well, you're going to mention Mike Piazza, and you, well, he spent like ten pages on Piazza. But the idea is that when he hit the home run, but but you went through the Las Vegas Golden Knights after the shooting in Las Vegas, and the Boston Red Sox after the marathon bombing, and how uh, sports has been helpful to, to heal a community after a terrible accident, injury, or accident, a terrible situation i mean that this is my favorite part of the book and you know i've been working on this book for years and i've reread it and proofed it and edited it and i probably read that chapter 60 70 times and i still get teary i mean it's really it's powerful stuff and i talked to you know a a fan who said of that mike piazza you know moment and that was what nine or ten days after 9-11 that that was the moment when it was okay to clap and smile again. And, and that kind of, uh, of healing power of sports is really amazing. And this year, it's the 20th anniversary, and Major League Baseball has scheduled a Yankees-Mets game at City Field for 9-11. So you're going to be seeing a whole lot of video of Mike Piazza this year. And it's funny because you look at Piazza's career when people talk about it and how many home runs he's had. I mean, that's the one they mentioned more than anything else in terms of all the great things he did is that they mentioned that, that home run. And, I, and, and he's, I heard him interview and he said he's most proud about that home run. So it, he's happy that people mention it. But even like we had Doc Emmerich on, the famous hockey announcer, and we were talking about when he broadcast in Philadelphia. And he says, there are not hockey fans in Philadelphia. They're Flyer fans. And that's what you mentioned about the Las Vegas Golden Knights in terms of in the book, there were people that had never watched a hockey game in their life but became Golden Knights fans because it, they just were embraced by the team, just embraced the whole town after the uh, unfortunate shooting. Yeah, well, this was sort of the perfect storm in that Las Vegas, you know, people don't think about this that much, but Las Vegas was the largest city in the United States that did not have a professional sports team in any of the big four sports. You know, now they've got the Raiders, too, so they've come a long way very quickly. But no no big sports teams in a city of a couple of million people, and then they get their first one, and it's this NHL team, the Golden Knights. And then 
nine days before the first game of the season, they have the worst mass shooting in American history. People are afraid to leave their homes. The nights come along, and, and this is recent enough. I mean, this is 2017. I was able to go out there and interview people, people who had been shot, people who had been shot at, people who, you know, really lives were turned upside down. And one after another, they told me about how, you know, it was the nights that got them out of their house, the nights that pulled them through it. A woman who was afraid to leave her house, who was, you know, she was a basketball fan, but she had never seen a hockey game. Finally, first time she leaves her house is to go to a Knights game, falls in love with it, goes 50 more times the first season. <laughs> and when, you know, she tells me this story, I can no longer sit there and think like, well, sports are trivial or frivolous or they're entertainment. They're a vital part of the social fabric of our society. And then you switched from not just healing a community, but healing people. Um, and your story about Iowa, and I've, you know, I've watched these Iowa games, but in, I didn't realize the whole backstory about how that all got created in terms of at the Iowa football games and helping the children's hospital and giving, uh, uplifting the spirits of, of these uh, children in the hospital. Yeah, and, and I actually started with adults, you know, talking to people who had used their sports fandom to battle, their, get through their cancer treatments, do re- rehabilitation, whatever it was. That led me to children and the Make-A-Wish, and that led me to uh, this this Iowa wave. And the amazing thing about that is, you know, it brings so many of the elements together because it's the fans of both teams that participate, right? So it's the unity and community that we can find as sports fans. There's suddenly no conflict, no matter what's happening on the field. They all want to participate in helping these kids. And, you know, they built this new wing on the children's hospital overlooking the the college football field with a sports theme. uh, So the kids feel like they're, they're, you know, you know, in a little kid version of a sports bar, but, um, (laughs) Uh, you know, so, you know, it's amazing and there's nothing else like it. And there's probably not going to be because you have to build a new hospital to get the same thing. And then like, there's this, there's this image of sports fans that they're overweight and they don't exercise. And, but I liked how you said that sports people who watch sports tend to, it encourages them. And you, you raised the answer, the issues of Lance Armstrong and the women's world cup and, and how sports has motivated people rather than just, and I, for someone who, I mean, I'm very much against these kids playing video games all the time. Like you're playing these video games in call of duty. That's not motivating you to go be a, go outside and play sports. But if you, I think if you just, I think kids that are playing sports are better, healthier, and it's, it's certainly much better for kids to be playing sports than to play video games. Yeah, absolutely. And and there's a number of examples. You talk about Lance Armstrong, the Olympics, um, uh, even the Boston Marathon being on TV, motivating people like myself to take up running. But I I love this example uh, that I use of American Ninja Warrior, which is not what most people think of when they immediately (laughs) think of sports, even though it's a a really compelling show, I think. But this was basically a, a new sport made up out of whole cloth that we never had anything like before, comes on TV, becomes popular, and spawns the birth of this ninja training gym. And now there's hundreds of them across the country. And clearly, these do not exist without the sport and the show existing. So this is a clear case where people watch something, sports on TV, and it motivates them enough to go out and take this up that it can support hundreds of gyms, most of which are filled with kids and often their families. It's a very multi-generational thing. But they're not training to compete. They're not training to be on the show. They're training because they think it's fun, and they think it's fun because they saw it on TV, and, and I think that's, that's great for society. And you didn't shy away from any subject in the book. I mean, you definitely covered the civil rights issues with sports and from Jackie Robinson up to today's time with George Floyd. 
and you and you mentioned about you know how sports has been something that's that's you know pro, have been progressive in terms of our country and and the world in general in terms of how sports and politics have merged and covered all those bases in the book. Yeah, and you know that's been a, a steady progress. People think oh, sports is more political today. It's always been that way. The difference is we have social media now. So, you know, somebody like LeBron James can reach out and immediately get his message to tens of millions of people. So it's become, you know, a a faster and more obvious process. But what really, you know, I think if you're a sports fan and you read my book, you're going to find a lot of stuff you like, and you're also going to find a lot of stuff you can relate to. Oh, yeah, I remember this. That brings back memories. But what I like about this, the the post-traumatic healing and the politics and the civil rights and progress is – Sports fandom has made our world a better place to live in, and non-sports fans don't always realize that, and that's what I want them to take away from that is even if they don't watch the games, that they have to thank sports fans for making the world better, and that's kind of an interesting perspective. I mean, you mentioned even we just talked about the fight of the century in 1971 uh, between Ollie and Frazier. But you mentioned the Joe Lewis, Max Schmeling fight of 1938 when Schmeling was uh, Hitler's fighter. And Joe Lewis was everybody, you know, from all races in America were, were, were rooting, cheering him on to defeat Germany. It was right before World War II. And uh, just the idea how Joe Lewis became this extremely popular fighter uh, in this, these terrible times. Yeah, and he was invited to the White House, which, uh, you know, not a lot of minority athletes were at that time, and basically, you know, used in a kind of propaganda way, as Jesse Owens was. And so to say that, you know, sports and politics are somehow distinct, which people, some people think it is, is ridiculous, because it really never has been, going back to ancient Greece. Yeah, and I loved your story about Nelson Mandela. I, I'm going to get that movie that because you mentioned about how he used rugby to to I guess bring the nation together in terms of using that sport. And to, I just love that story. Yeah, and actually, skip the movie. It's good, but read the book oh, instead because okay. you get a lot more out of it. It's called Playing the Enemy. The movie was called Invictus. Um, but yeah, I mean, they were teetering the country. You know, apartheid was this you know oppressive authoritarian regime. They had their first democratic election. Country's going to uh, transition from authoritarianism to democracy. He's the first freely elected president, and they're teetering on the verge of civil war. And Nelson Mandela realizes, you know, the one thing we can you know all kind of get around is rugby. And brings the World Cup and uses it to basically unify the country. And, you know, it's an amazing story. And, yeah, South Africa would probably be a democratic country today if it wasn't for rugby. But, you know, a lot of people probably would have been killed in the process. So it's, it's, a, it's a pretty powerful example. But there's a lot of others, you know, of that. I mean, the U.N. has a division on using sport to promote peace. The Vatican created uh, a wing to use sport to promote peace, and it's used, you know, uh, I asked uh, an ambassador uh, that I interviewed, you know, about sports' role in, in the peace process and negotiations globally, and he looked at me like I was crazy. Of course, we've always used sports, you know, like it's obvious to people in the State Department, but it's not obvious to the <laughs> casual reader. 
And then you finished up your book, and one of the chapters was a talk about family bonding and, and clearly, and people's bonding too. I mean, I know a lot of people that um, had a talk for 10 years, and like, how do you, they're not, they don't, they're uncomfortable going sitting at a dinner, but it's like, I suggested to one of these two of my friends, I said, just go to a football game and just sit there because then you can watch the game. And they went to the game, and it was like, it was easy. It's just, it seems like it's something, sports is something that brings everybody together, and it's clearly on families and intergenerational. You have a, a 10 year old or 12 year old. Uh, kid and then his 80 year old grandfather and the one that you mentioned in your book how they can talk about sports and I just love that aspect in terms of, of that's what sports has in, in, in helping people you know something a bridge of divide that, that would be between people yeah and, and I interviewed hundreds of sports fans over several years all around the world and if there's one consistent story that I heard from everyone it was oh I remember you know that first game with my grandpa or my grandmother or my parents or my siblings or some combination thereof right that's like the the unifying sports memory is always around family and then as you said you know later on as as things get more culturally divided it can bridge these gaps and there's a, a psychologist I quote in there who, you know, says something like, you know, the 12-year-old kid doesn't doesn't want to hear about what it was like to work in a coal mine, and grandpa doesn't want to hear about video games, but they can, you know, go to a sporting event and share that as common ground, and that is absolutely true, and it's not just multi-generational, it's, you know, I say, you know, I travel around the world, I can go to any airport bar in the world, sit down, there's something on the screen, I can start talking to the person next to me, it doesn't matter, uh, you know, nationality, race, religion, economic background, age, education, we can just immediately begin chatting about sports. Yeah, and that's what bothers me. The one thing about bothers me in sports so much, and not so much, you know, in Europe you see it a lot, in America, but in America and Philly fans and stuff, like, I hate when I hear that, oh, a Dodger and a, and a Giant fan fought, or because that, you should be fighting over sports. It's like when someone is a Cowboy fan and I'm a Steeler fan, it's like a shared bond. Like, it's great. We can talk. We can joke around. Like, I love that aspect, and I see that a lot in college football when, a, when Penn State went down to Alabama and everyone was so nice. It's like, it just seems to me that's that shared bonding of we both like it. I mean, you don't have people that fight between English literature and American literature, which is the better one. I just, I hate when I hear that people got in a fight over sports when it's the shared bond of it is the fact that people who like sports should all get along, I think, really. I mean, and just enjoy their differences of the team, but they should just enjoy the sports. And they do. And the thing, you know, I point this out in the book, the actual, like, fan-on-fan violence is extremely rare. And of course, yeah, it occurs because there's tens of millions of people who mix <laughs> at sporting events every year. But um, when it happens, it always gets a lot of press. You know, and I take a look at that, and you see these articles that say, oh, recurring violence among football fans, and then the last example they can find is like eight years ago. <laughs> and it's statistically much safer, say, to go to an NFL game than it is to walk the streets of any major city in the country. Right, right, right. So, but Larry, I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, this is, I mean, this time we're coming back from COVID. People are going to be going into stands more and getting involved in sports. This is a, a perfect book for the perfect time because you really talk about how we're going to just, I mean, everyone's excited to, to start going to sports again and, and becoming, going to stadiums and going to sports bars, even going, I went to, a, you know, going to sports bars the last couple of months have been great. I hadn't been to a sports bar in, in, I don't know, eight, nine months. So it's great to be able to go out and do those things. So I really appreciate you for writing this book. And I think it's the perfect book for the for the times right now 
Well, I really do appreciate you having me on, and I, and I agree. I mean, after all these crises, people talk about a return to normalcy, and there, n- nothing is going to signal that more than being able to sit next to 30 or 40 or 50,000 people shoulder to shoulder and high-five and not worry about getting sick. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, Larry, thank you so much for coming on Iron Sports. I really appreciate it.